This week on Dig Me Out. But when the city's so hot, the one is first in the flames. When the Jesus freaks collapse with the weight of her claims. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Pause. You got through it. Got a dramatic pause in there. Just like Shatner. I went Shatner on it. Uh, Jay, this is a patron selected episode we have a patron joining us raise the trumpets and the flags the fanfare is about to begin we are going old school we are welcome back to the show david gorgos hi david how are you hi i'm doing great glad to be back david. the year went quickly it did it, oh, yeah it did feels like we just talked it does and uh it's worth noting david was on board before patreon and then the whole dmo union right you were i think a paypal patron yes. at the time back in the early days so yeah sponsor an episode at a time something like yeah that. um the earliest well i don't know if this is the earliest one but space needle april 2013 oh my goodness that's yep. what i have uh is one of your picks um, I don't know if that was the first one, but it was pretty early because it's only two years into the podcast. We would yeah, just babies. I still listen to I still listen to that album. I don't remember anything. <laughs> All I know is that the album cover was by the same guy who did like yes album covers. Right. That's right. That's right. Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, that looks like a yes album cover. But I don't remember the album at all. Um which to be fair i had a one-year-old at that time actually not even a one-year-old i had like an eight-month-old so everything that happened from like august of 2012 until i don't know 2016 2017 is kind of a blur <laughs> those first five years are kind of a blur i'm sure jay you have the same when you're when you have a newborn it's just like you're just trying to keep your head on yeah i mean at this point it's all it's all become a blur (laughs) yes i I, there's there's huge gaps of time missing yes exactly it's like we blacked out but there was no alcohol involved uh so the albums you dug out are now buried again yes exactly (laughs) they would be brand new for us (laughs) we're gonna do a meta season where we just revisit albums we've already revisited and see if we have the same opinions. It might be totally different. Who knows? That would be kind of funny. Just do a, a, a total fresh listen to like some some of the records from maybe like the first 10 episodes. Yeah, it gives you nostalgia <laughs> for when your, your kid was one. Right. This album brings me right back. I feel like I've heard this before. So last year you joined us for East River Pipe, the album Shining Hours in a Can. The year before it was Tribes Abort. This year, share with the audience what you have selected. Oh, that's because you don't want to pronounce it. This is exactly this is an intentionally difficult to pronounce record called Wasps Nests by the Sixths. 
This is a person with just... a list's worst nightmare. Yeah. The, sibil- the sibilance on the mics. I need a pop screen for this episode. Yeah. I don't have one. That would have been funny if they would have worked pop screen somewhere into that. Yeah, so this is an intentional tongue twister of a, of a record title by Mr. Stephen Merritt of the Magnetic Fields. So I assume you're a fan of Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields, David. Is that a good assumption? I certainly was in the 90s. Okay. They've gone through, uh, even though it's basically one man. Right. Um, he's gone through a lot of different sounds over the years. And so, I am partial to his his uh, one man band bedroom recordings uh, like this one. Got it. Now this is unique in the Stephen Merritt uh, ovoir. Is that how you say that word? Uh, discography. So everybody knows him from the Magnetic Fields primarily. Sixty nine love songs came out in what ninety nine. Yes. Triple album. Uh, you know, I remember like there were songs that were used in like Volvo commercials and stuff. Like it was a big deal. That record was like, I feel like Pitchfork probably um, exploded with with uh, praise and and gooey uh, uh, love for that album uh, when it came out because it was it was all over the place for like a year. And then um, he's also been in, or he's also had bands, um, the Gothic Archies and Future Bible Heroes. And this is, so this is one of his, I guess you call it a side project. Is that what we call it? It was weird because it was actually, he signed to a record label just to put out this record. Like somebody was a fan at um, Factory, Factory 2 actually. Um, it was like a, I guess, a revitalization of factory after it kind of went under back in like it had financial issues. I remember at some point. Yeah. So this was on factory two. Um, and the the twist on this album is that every song is sung by a different singer. And it's a pretty interesting collection of artists, some who you might know like Lou Barlow from Sebado, uh, Mitch Easter, who was in the band Let's Active and worked with R.E.M. a lot. Um, let's see, who Some else? Some you don't know that you know. Right. Well, Mac McCaw- McCawhan, is that how you say his last name? McCawhan? Anyway, Why are we having Super so Chunk. much trouble with pronunciation this episode? I don't know. Uh but there, yeah, there's a lot of people that I didn't know, but there are names that like kind of recognize the name, but I'm not sure who they were. Like Georgia Hubley, Hubley, <laughs> H, <laughs> uh, is uh, part of uh, Yola Tango. And uh, anyway, there's 16 songs, 16 singers. Stephen Merritt only sings on one song. And that was the whole point. And this is the first of two of these. This was released in 95. And then, son of a bitch, Hyacinth's and thistles <laughs> was released in 2000 oh uh, my goodness we take a drink after that they really need to put this out on pop screen records <laughs> it does need to be on pop screen records 
How did you uh, how'd you come upon this record, David? Oh, I, I think it was uh, part of being in New York at the time. Uh, okay. Stephen Merritt would uh, he, he would play a lot solo. Um, so I was very familiar with his stuff and uh, the Magnetic Fields had had I think three or four albums before this was released. Um, and this this was actually the last record he did before 69 Love Songs. Oh, okay. Uh, as, as far as a, a, a band unit, uh, you know. Um, I think he was doing some soundtrack work here and there. Um, but yeah, as soon as as soon as it got released, uh, they were pushing Dean Wareham mm -hmm. from Galaxy 500 uh, as appearing on it. I believe that that was the single, so I knew Dean Wareham and I knew Stephen Merritt, and I had to pick up this record. And I picked it up on CD, so I only have 15 songs, not 16. Oh, okay. Yeah, the version I listened to on Apple Music only had 15 as well. The 16th song. Oh, you know what? You're right. Bonus track. There, there's 16. There's 15 tracks on what I listened to, but on on Wikipedia it has 16 tracks. Yes, listed. the vinyl had a bonus track. Got it. Um, and you can pick up that song on his album Obscurities, or okay. listen to it on YouTube. Got it. Jane, I'm guessing you're not familiar with this record, but have you listened to any Stephen Merritt, any Magnetic Fields or anything like that? I remember uh, 69 Love Songs. I, I've listened to it here and there. I don't think I've listened to the whole thing. It's it's kind of a huge commitment. Uh, but I was familiar with the sound. I did no research on this record, which I never do. I always just go in straight and just listen to the record for what it is. And that band came to mind as I listened to this record. So kind of... Well, there you the go. The format and the uh, overall songwriting approach and production rang some bells. Well, even though Stephen Merritt uh, got a bunch of singers to sing this album, he still had to uh, include himself. So he sings on track two. So if you're like, the first song doesn't make it apparent that he's involved, uh, the second one does because that's him. So uh, a little bit of history. Um, with regards to Mr. Merritt, uh, he grew up in Yonkers, New York, which is where I have family from. That's where they emigrated from Sicily. They moved to Yonkers and then from Yonkers to Buffalo. So that's uh, we share that. Um, he. Let's see, between 95 and 2005 is one third of the ensemble three terrors. Um, he is I found this interesting um, he is the only child of Alex Merritt a Tibetan Buddhist of German and Irish descent that's a weird combination but okay everybody's got their um, he the, 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 again this is, this is weird he spent time in an ashram in Saratoga um, I've been to Saratoga I, this is oddly like weird that I know all these places, but I guess it's New York, so I, I shouldn't be uh, surprised. Um, the 
first album under the magnetic fields came out in 91 that was distant plastic trees on red flame and then the wayward bus in 92 the house of tomorrow was an ep released in 92 then he released that's around the that's around the time Stephen merritt started singing his own songs got it he had a guest he had a another singer for that those first two albums i see yeah uh, and then he signed to Merge Records for The Charm of the Highway Strip. Yeah, that came out in 94. And then Holiday also came out in 94 on Feel Good All Over. Get Lost came out in 1995. Then, as mentioned, uh, he worked on this record. And um, 69 Love Songs would come out in 99. Followed by I in 2004 on None Such. Distortion and Real- Realism also released on None Such in 2008 and 2010. Back to Merge for Love at the Bottom of the Sea. Then a 50-song memoir released on Nonesuch in 2017. And then the five EP uh, quickies, which isn't that? It's songs that are between 17 seconds and 235 in length. Uh, that was released in 2020 on, uh, on Nonesuch. So 28 songs, all of them very fast, hence the name Quickies, which I appreciate that. Get in, get out. So let's go over to the comment section at Patreon and see what people thought of this record. They thought nothing, but they did vote. How is there no comment? I thought there were comments on this record, but I guess there are not. That's weird. Okay. People were afraid, David. They were afraid to comment. They wanted to hear what we had to say first before they would form an opinion. (laughs) But that's all right. So we'll get to the poll at the end of the show. See how that shakes out when we share our final uh, opinions on this record. So Jay, let's kick it off with you. Tell me one thing you liked about Wasps Nests by the Six. The thing I heard and picked up on was obviously the the production is the glue for this record. It's kind of a, I guess what I would describe as um, a bit lo-fi. It kind of sounds like, a, you know, a Casio keyboard sort of uh, layered um production in terms of like using a lot of keyboards and drum machines and i think in really creative ways it's not guitar heavy uh there are some guitars on it there's some bass on it but it's mostly this you know fairly kind of straightforward from a uh, instrumentation standpoint but also complex in that you know the sounds are unexpected often, you know, some of the keyboard sounds when you really listen to them, I don't know what they are. <laughs> so uh, that, that is one of the things I think that stands out right away. Then there's like two parts or t- two different types of songs that I hear here that are really interesting when you kind of juxtapose them with that production style. So there's a kind of jangle pop psych pop kind of vibe going on in some of these songs. They almost sound like, um, 60s 70s laurel canyon kind of you know pop songs um 
So I think All Dressed Up in Dreams is a good example. sunshine kind of vibe going on there um san diego zoo is another example falling out of love movies in my head when you really break it down like that song and listen to like what's going on from a chord standpoint you know it can almost be like a bird song uh but again it's put into this really um interesting 90s bedroom production which you know in terms of you know using a lot of keyboards and effects and drum machines and layering things in unexpected ways um and then with that type of songwriting is it's kind of unexpected there's some other songs too that get a little bit darker and they still have to me i can hear a little bit of 60s pop in them but it's it's more of a kinks kind of thing but they also use some elements that might be more familiar to like maybe the cure. So I hear like Puerto Rico way or pillow fight when I'm out of town, like these kind of bright and, or even like a little odd um, keyboard sounds. And then uh, some strong melodies also from the, the, the key keyboard lines, almost like you would hear in a, in a, cure song so those songs from to me then take a little bit of a just a tight uh, a, a little bit of a darker switch they kind of get out of the sunshine a bit and feel a little bit more weird um i think the whole thing that makes them poppy is you know kind of that kink sensibility underneath them as the songwriting so i found that super interesting you know just this almost old school pop songwriting um, philosophy mixed with this production that's kind of earnest DIY, make what you can of the instruments laying around the keyboards you have around, um, but also layering them in the ways that are pretty sophisticated, and interesting. Um, and I think the last thing that, that when this album works really well, that's most important is, you know, it's got some catchy choruses. I think there's, some hooks here when you get to the choruses and melodies that are um really solid i think sort of once you get to that chorus part of the song it's things start to make sense and then you to anticipate coming around the second time and another you know, on the surface fairly simple but um you know some of them are are pretty well crafted so i, I think that's another piece of the glue to me that holds uh holds this record together what worked for you tim well, like you mentioned, there is a like 60s pop element to this, which is quite interesting. I think it really works best. And I don't know if it's because of 
the male singers kind of sounding like Stephen Merritt when they sing in that they sing low and it's kind of um, in his style. But when you take the songs like San Diego Zoo or All Dressed Up in Dreams, Here in My Heart, like those songs, which the women are singing, there is a really cool thing going on. Like San Diego Zoo, when it, when this first started, and I'd never listened to it. I was like, ooh, this kind of sounds like Stereolab. Like, I was not expecting this. I like that from song to song, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. I mean, you know, kind of the, you kind of figure it out after a while, like, okay, this, there's going to be some, you know, weird keyboard stuff, probably some drum loops. Stephen Merritt did all the music himself and then, you know, invited them to sing over whatever he created. And they, they're the combinations of, especially again with the women their vocals because they're not trying to sound like him pop so much better Hmm. um i I don't know how to say her name ayako akashiba winter in july that's another one it's got it just got a nice bounce to it like it's it's not super you know aggressive it's not like here in my heart almost has like it's like an indie abba yeah song. totally <laughs> which i i think is really totally. cool i like that this is a you know an indie rock band indie pop album and there's like you can reference abba which is <laughs> not something that there was so much in the 90s that it was so uncool to like admit that you liked pop music if you were in, in indie music yeah you know but then like years later you know it's the same thing with a kiss so many people are like oh kiss is stupid and they're ridiculous but then you get like people like you know that are actual musicians who are like no no, no kiss is why i'm here yeah. like i dale crover is like i picked up the drum because i saw the kiss alive and kelly scott yeah. the same thing like you, you never know where their influences are coming from so when i hear that song i go oh so stephen merritt's not just listening to you know folky you know, Fairport Convention and and the birds and and yep. that kind of stuff. He's also listening to ABBA and uh, the Mamas and the Papas because there's stuff there's stuff on here like All Dressed Up in Dreams. You mentioned the Laurel Canyon thing. If you if you just added like a harmony to that or a counter harmony or counter melody, that would sound like that would totally sound like '60s pop in the in the Mamas and Papas kind of vein. Yep, um, for sure. So I, I, that's what 
really caught my ear listening to us. And it's also, it's cool to hear him. I don't know what instruments he was using. I'm, I mean, in, in terms of keyboards and drum loops and all those sorts of things, but he finds some really interesting sounds throughout the record that don't sound, I mean, this is 1995. Um, they don't sound of the time. So it's a refreshing change of pace in that respect because everything was getting, you know, polished for radio at that point. And this is the complete opposite direction. Um, and I don't always respond well to indie slash lo-fi. Yeah. Because um, sometimes the production does do some harm to my ears when I'm when I'm trying to like figure out if I like the song or not. But even though this is on the not lo-fi end, but definitely on like not the super produced end, there's like a charm to this production that I appreciate sort of, I guess in the, in the, not in the super polished guided by voices end, but not the super lo-fi end. Like it's in that like happy mid range area where you can definitely figure out what the songs are and you don't have to worry about a, like hissing tape hiss and stuff like that. Right. Right. Which, right. So yeah, this, uh, David, what yes. works best for you on this record? Well, I love the songwriting, the, the clever poetry that he uses. And you keep talking about how sunny this record is and, uh, I think that's part of the reason I chose it because it feels like a good springtime record. It's, it's mm -hmm. upbeat, bouncy, but man, the lyrics are dark. Yeah. <laughs> they're there. I think there's maybe one positive relationship in the entire uh, 15 songs that, uh, that, that we're talking about. Um, you know, win winter in July, it's, this beautiful song about um, the rain falling in Melbourne, Australia, but all she can do is cry. Um, obviously, the Dean Wareham song is, you know, it, it's, if, if you just listen to it, you'd think, oh, what a bouncy little love song, but everything is negative. Everything is about uh, being incomplete having complete disgust for your partner um and I, I think Stephen Merritt really had this mastered at this point in his career um if you listen to quickies it sounds like it could be on Dr. Demento it's clever but it's not it doesn't have that extra layer that this stuff does hmm. where you know, like, uh, <clears throat> like, like a, it's got a Motown sound, hmm. uh, that kind of wall of sound. Um, and it makes me think of some songs like He Hit Me and It Felt Like a Kiss. Um, you know, songs that were dealing with much darker material than, than the music would indicate. Uh, I love the variety. I love the variety of the different singers too. Yes. It, uh, 
it, it, every song just hits you fresh. Um, and even though they're all made with similar keyboard inst instruments, they uh, every song sounds different, and the singers help with that. Yeah, there's there's a cohesiveness about the, um, I guess the vocal approach though. Maybe it's because of the it's all the same songwriter, but there's no singer on here where it's like, whoa, that range is totally different, and like, you know what I mean? They, it it all feels like amongst the same theme, I guess, or within the same aesthetic. There's nothing like jolting, or there's a variety, but there's nothing that's like way out of step which is hard to do when you've got a record with so many singers on it. Yeah. Quite honestly, it's a miracle that he pulled it off because it's a hard thing to do to get yeah. 15 singers to all sort of get the same, get on the program. And the, yeah. the second one, which I will not name the, the name of that album, but the second one has like Bob mold, um, uh, Gary Newman, Hmm. Mark Ullman uh, from Soft Cell. Uh, who else is on there? Uh, Sally Timmons from the Meekins. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Crack, Cracknell from St. Antine. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, it just shows how well-respected he is. and Right in the scene to get this much talent from all over the globe too. It got, you know, New Zealand in there. He's got yeah. Japan in there. Uh, Miho Hattori from Chibumato's on that record too. The next one. So, uh, which actually makes me like genuinely curious to like what what does that album sound like in comparison to this one with all those different singers like i want to know what bob mold bob mold's take is on a steven Merritt because i don't think of bob mold as being like quiet and re not quite in reserve but uh you know he doesn't sound like dean wareham wareham or uh or mac from super chunk like he's got a very distinct voice and i'd, I'd be curious to hear how that blends with what uh, Stephen Mara was doing on uh, on this record, Jay, is there anything that doesn't work for you? Well, as much as I'm intrigued and I appreciate the production, it also for me lacks some dynamic. You know, everything feels a little flat. Um, and I think what that to me what that results in is like I just don't have like those guttural emotional moments where it just reaches out and grabs you i think you have to probably really be paying attention to the lyrics all the time to really get that to happen because i think musically it just feels the nature i think of using so much keyboard and effects is that you end up with this production that's you know a little flat um one-dimensional at times even though there's lots of different instruments or sounds let's just say introduced it all just kind of reads at the same level to me the slow songs for me suffer the most they get very very sleepy it really i think for me when the record works it's really 
up tempo and sharp and bright. Um, I also found this contributing to that a little bit too was just this, from a songwriting standpoint, pretty consistently. I didn't really get the song until the chorus. So the first verse, I'd be a little underwhelmed or not, not sure where we were going. Chorus would come and things would click into place. Like, oh, okay, I get where the song is going, what it feels like. And then by the time we get the second verse, then I would be more into it. And I found myself even on re, you know repeated listings and having the same uh, reaction of like a song would start and be like, oh, that's kind of an interesting sound. And then the vocal come in and I would start to fade. And then the chorus would come in and it would grab me back again and from a melody standpoint. And then from that point forward, I would sort of get the song. So I don't know if that's just, again, the, the production is so distinct that maybe um, when the songs first start, it's a bit overwhelming in terms of uh, what am I supposed to focus on? And it takes me a little while to get into the vocal hook and then I can kind of resolve everything after that. Uh, so yeah, it's, I think there's plus and minuses for me with this kind of production technique. There's parts of it technically that I really like. There's some sounds and juxtapositions, juxtapositions that are really cool. It's just a little mechanical and flat. Anything that one for you, Tim? I, I get what you're saying. Um, because of these songs are lacking in dynamics, a lot of them are just like this repetitive drum beat kind of mm -hmm. thing that goes on or or a percussion um whether it's like a tambourine or or shaker or something like that that just sort of carries the songs rhythm section and the whole mix is i don't want to say it's flat but it's definitely like not dynamic from a songwriting standpoint and from a production standpoint so you kind of have to just you just take it what it is and that again is where like i think the songs with the female singers pop better because they're able to access that higher range on these songs whereas when lou and dean and some of the other guys are singing like steven it's so bassy and the and the mix is kind of bassy in the sense that it's like kind of this mushy unseparated kind of yep. thing happening that and he doesn't mix the vocals that loud which is fine but they um, they sort of merge with the rest of the song so you kind of just hear like yeah. there's this like yep. rumble that's happening yep. sometimes that isn't quite it's not defined as well as you know when Anna Domino starts singing on here in my heart it's so clear and it's so yeah. like distinct.
Yeah, just a little bit of that extra range. Um, mm -hmm. The male vocals tend to be a little monotone and the female vocals have more dynamic to them for whatever reason. Maybe it's just sonically whatever's going on, but I'm with you. Like when I hear those, all of a sudden I perk up and things lock into place and like, you know, I'm engaged more than I am on some of the right male singers. Pillow Fight, which um, has Mitch Easter singing, he sings higher but the thing that bothered me with this song, that song is like, there's like this chime that's going on in, yeah. in your like left ear the whole time. Right. <laughs> and it's like, cool it's a, it, dad the bell, the, the bell percussion. Yes. Yeah. That's one of those things where you're like 30 seconds in, I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. And then by the time you're, you know, a minute or two and you're like, okay, we can cut that out now. You can have yeah, the, the bell play. The bell player the can take don't a rest. Very much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you hear if you hear a song if you hear a sound in the beginning of the song, you're going to be hearing it at the end too. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, you know, I don't know what he recorded this on. I'm maybe an eight track, uh, maybe a, a, a four track. I don't know how he does his recordings from yeah. uh, if he's in a studio, if he's you know if it's all to tape and what have you. Um, but I would have liked a little bit more from the production end, um, from from the uh, or arrangement end, I guess, just to add a little bit something to the uh, songs to give to break up those choices. Um, David, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this album? Um, I, I would say probably that it works better as a whole than some of the individual some of the individual songs aren't well um aren't completely developed um often the bridges will if there's a bridge it'll be the same as a as a verse um so you don't get a lot of variety within each song. Yeah. You just get this, this good little nugget. And if I, if I listen to one, I want more. I want to listen to the entire album. Um, but I, I feel like some of the songs don't stand out if you listen to them on their own. Yes. Um, like if you're a Lou Barlow fan, and you go listen to In the City in the Rain, you're not going to be like, well, I got to buy this album because Lou Barlow sings on that because it's a fine song, but I could, you could have told me that was Stephen Merritt and I would have thought it was Stephen Merritt. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Other than it, like the tone is slightly off. It's not that distinct as far as being uh, obviously Lou Barlow. Um, and that's that was my main issue with the album is just the vocal choices of of some of the guys aren't aren't they just not exciting they're just not they're, they're, they're muted yeah they're muted they're muted performances for sure yeah um as mentioned this came out in 95 i got to imagine i mean i i guessing the radio college radio probably played this but 
even our station, Jay, I don't know if we would have been playing this. It probably would have gone to the to the to WBGU because they had like their shows and they had like a world music show and then they had like they had like a lo-fi indie rock show. Cause I mean 95, let's be honest, WFAL was playing Bush and Toadies and yeah, like it was just another it was playing a lot of like mainstream radio because mainstream radio had caught up with college radio in a certain sense right um so i don't know how i would have even heard this record when it came out because i was not into the underground scene if you watched adventures of pete and pete you would be very familiar with magnetic fields because uh he did most of the uh, a lot of the songwriting on adventures of pete and pete on nickelodeon and I did not. That show was was uh, very famous for having lots of good indie uh, cameos. Like Michael Stipe made an appearance in it. Is there a soundtrack for that? Because I feel like that's been uh, suggested. Was it, yeah, but like Polara or somebody, didn't they do a soundtrack? Or oh, some... Polara did the, yeah, Polara did the uh, theme song. There you and, go. And the incidental music. Got it. Yes. So this is one of those things that's like bouncing around in my head that I yep. know and I don't know why I know it. And right. <laughs> I don't have any, I've never li- watched the show. I've never listened to that album, but I know that information. Yeah, it's come up a couple, t- at least once, maybe twice in our polls. Got it. Okay. The, All right, the, Stephen, the Stephen Merritt genre seems to be uh, intellectual uh, cult, uh, cult indie. I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just this tight, this, this group of people who all revolve around him. I'm guessing it's people um, with glasses who listen to NPR and yeah. um, <laughs> like Terry Gross, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he's <laughs> big on XPN right now or. Right. Uh, all right, Jay yeah where are you landing on this record is this a worthy album a better ep or a decent single oh i'm uh right on the edge here look it's only I'm, it's 45 minutes which doesn't wouldn't t- normally be long although i feel like 15 songs is a lot that makes sense because it just adds up to more information Right. So like, I feel like by the end of the record, even though it's only been 45 minutes, I was feeling a little um, spent, like with all the different singers and all the different instruments and layers and weird sounds. And uh, even though the songs are short and brief, there's just a lot of information. So I would, I, I would take it down to 10 and just make it really tight. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say an EP in that case. Cause you're probably at that point under 40 minutes. Uh, I like San Diego zoo. I like all dressed up in dreams. I like falling out of love. I like pillow fight, dream hat movies in my head, looking for love, heaven in a black leather jacket, Puerto Rico way. And when I'm out of town. So I would cut like fives, five ish songs and uh, go with a 10 song, either classic album or EP. Where are you at? Pretty much spot on um, with those choices and that. I guess, I mean, 
it's a 30 minute album if you're at 10 songs yeah so i would say it's a worthy album and i would i would trim like five tracks uh the ones that you mentioned because at that point you get in get out real quick right and you can appreciate the individual tracks as sort of instead of being like overwhelmed by the volume of material that you're getting not volume in terms of loudness but just in terms of how much there is um yeah i think at that length too i I don't know i I walk away with a bit more of like feeling like the charm and the innocence of it um and at 15 tracks i start to feel like maybe my also my reaction to 69 long songs is just like this is a bit much like (laughs) we went from charming to like you overstayed your welcome and (laughs) i need you to leave leave. (laughs) like you to go can so, you please go yeah okay and uh, i think you're on to something with that the uh you know out al- pop albums in the 60s and early 70s were 30 minutes eight or ten songs mm-hmm. uh, it was the classic rock that was bloated and had longer records so maybe thematically it would have made sense to make this uh 10 minute uh, the 30 minute 10 song record yeah Yes, that's what that's yeah, yeah. So well, from the nineties forward, we need more records like that. Yes, <laughs> like make your statement. Make so over quick. at Patreon, fifty percent of the votes went to better EP. Okay, twenty five percent were the album, twenty five percent decent single. All right. So yeah. that better EP could be right in whenever, what we're talking about. Yeah. Like if you get to, you know, if you can find eight to 10 songs, I think that's a good chunk of this record. That's, it's really interesting. And um, we would not have ever discovered this without no. you bringing it to us. So thank you, David, for oh, putting this pleasure. on the radar. Um, I'm not happy about the pronunciation of this or the next record (laughs) i feel like it's a trap for me but uh yeah i like that we you know you look at the last couple picks by you we have no idea where you're going (laughs) and i like that i like when there's just curveballs it's like a like a tim wakefield knuckleball you have no idea where it's going is that too obscure a baseball reference? I, I want my I want my next record to be something that I absolutely hate. Seems like okay. everyone brings on albums that they like. It'd be interesting to, interesting. Put, to bring you an album that I can't stand and mm. brag see, on it. See if we like it though. Maybe we're gonna like it. Yeah, we'll probably. like it. And you'll hate it. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely albums. Maybe you do, Jay too as well jay that there are albums that i like but i'm frustrated by like something is off about them or you know there's just like a couple songs that just don't work for me um i'm drawing a blank as to which albums those would be right now but there are albums like that where i'm like i like this but i don't love it yeah and i think those are interesting records because then you can if you absolutely love something actually becomes a little bit harder to talk about it yeah, we've talked about that. I mean, I think the albums that we've personally listened to the most and like the most is 
they're the hardest episodes sometimes to do because I don't know how to describe emotionally like why I like something, but it just connects. And a lot of it has, has to do with like when you heard it uh, the first time yep. and sort of your personal experience. So we try to be respectful about it too when we review records, knowing that some most of these were coming to pretty fresh. Right. And as the dogs have notified me, uh, can you hear them? Yes. They're, yeah. Okay. Hopefully the, the, that's the littlest one who is the loudest one. That's how that works. Be busting out the noise gate. Yeah. No kidding. I just muted myself while talking <laughs> because they're, they're going down the hall right behind me now following, following her. <laughs> And it's right for me, to, the, the time at which I would say all the closing stuff. So here we go. Dog barks, be damned. Uh, if you'd like to be like David and suggest a record, you can join us at digmeoutpodcast.com or um, at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Actually, I don't even know if there's any spots open at the suggest an album level. That's a... Uh, we got a lot to do. Last I checked, there was maybe one. Maybe we get it's the last one, folks. That's it. You want to pick a record? Come talk to us about it. Maybe it's something you love. Maybe it's something you're just kind of uh, eh about. We will we'll talk about it either way. I don't think anybody's ever brought anything they hate, but they've definitely brought stuff that we hated. So that's. <laughs> We've had some like, hey, I think this is interesting. I'm not sure. I'm still working on whether I like it or not. We've had maybe right. a couple of those, but most of them are albums they like. Mm-hmm. Bringing an album that you hate is an interesting angle. Or albums that utterly confused us. That would be very dirty, Gert. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got I, a year to think about it. You, I know you threw us some more curveballs back then. I don't remember all of them, but I know you threw us some other ones that uh besides the space needle would it be an album that you like then but hate now or you've always hated oh i don't know i don't hate a lot of music that's the problem yeah so mariah carey would be cool well i'd have to dig her out i haven't uh sat down and listened to mariah carey you've never listened to mariah carey i think her voice would be almost as annoying as the uh, hi-hat in Pillow Fight. <laughs> hey, everybody's, you know, different strokes for different folks. I, I happen to be a, a Mariah Carey fan. Um, when I saw when I, when, when her performance, uh, Vision of Love, that's, that ballad. From, sure. That, I think that's one of the best ballads of all time. That song yeah. is like amazing. And her vocal range is insane. I didn't love like into the nineties when she started going into like hip hop and stuff, just cause I didn't think it suited. I didn't think it made her vocal that interesting. And I hated when like a hip hop, you know, you'd have like a guest vocalist. Oh yeah. Which is basically just yeah. the guitar solo. It's the, it's right. the replacement for yeah. a guitar solo. Yeah. You have, you have somebody, you have like ODB show up in the bridge and, and lay down eight bars and, that's where Steve Vai would have been. <laughs> um, I don't know how we got here, but anyway, if you want to suggest an album, dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com, you can also drop them into our suggestion box 
at digmeoutpodcast.com at our suggested album page. And then those go into monthly tournaments, 27 albums, enter, one album leaves. Each month, a whole new slate of records suggested by going to that website, digmeoutpodcast.com. It's also where you go to sign up for the box newsletter. Two new reviews every week of new music, books, movies, documentaries, etc., related to 80s, 90s, and aughts music, and as well as our release calendar. And lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for this podcast. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again in a year, David. And, uh, you know, don't, don't be a stranger on the boards. All right. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm too old for boards, but maybe, maybe I'll get, get into that. Ah, never too old to talk about what were we talking about this week, Jay? What was it? What was in the discussion? Uh, there's a new Muppet uh, series coming out. We're talking about the Muppets and all right, uh, I'm in. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> And uh, what was the other thing? Oh, you were talking about Striper, Jay. That's right. You were discussing the the yeah discography and of Striper. Part of my story of like I, I'm always I always bought the weird album that nobody else bought. <laughs> so name any band and like whatever their weirdest album was, uh, that would at times be the only album in their catalog that I own. And Striper was along that lines. We, we can do a Christian rock episode. There you go. Wait, uh, that's come wanted, up a couple times. Yeah, it has actually. I just want to talk about, I just want to mention that um, Daz is, is that that's Darren uh, Lehman? Lehman or Leach? Which one? Which Darren is that? Oh, I think I'm Leach. So, okay. He just posted pictures today of seeing Fret, Bank, Fret Blanket live. Oh, nice. Um which we just chip just did an interview with them. They have, they just released an album that they recorded back at the end of the nineties, early two thousands that never came out and they just put it out. So uh, it's streaming on Instagram. Uh, well, it was five, uh, four hours ago. So maybe you can watch the replay. If Do they do replays on Instagram? Can you watch something that was, was live? Like, or do they, does live just disappear? I don't know how that works. I have no idea how Instagram. This that's technology. I just I seriously like Instagram. I just like it to just post pictures. All the other stuff they've added since then, I don't understand. <laughs> Look, I don't know what I would do with this. I just want to like post a weird picture every now and then. Uh, so for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. I was home.